I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Lone Star House of Design, produced and distributed by the team that brings you Convo by Design, with another story about design and architecture from the great state of Texas, featuring Dallas-based designer Shelley Rosenberg, and a chat about meaningful and universal design. <laughs> Shelley Rosenberg is a kind, purposeful, and caring person. And these traits are also core values in her work. Shelley's an advocate for those that need more specialized care and attention to their surroundings. She gives of her time freely to many organizations like Dwell with Dignity and the Rise School in Dallas, which serves children with disabilities and special needs. Shelley is also somewhat of a treasure hunter when it comes to design around Texas and the Southwest. So settle in, start your run, your workout, or journey through the virtual design center that you're visiting as you listen to this podcast episode with designer Shelley Rosenberg. A favor as you do. If not already, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode of Lone Star House of Design or Convo by Design. This is Shelley Rosenberg. Okay, yeah. No, the beauty here is I, I, don't, I don't like to edit. You know what? To me, editing a conversation is like going through and presenting your design and then having the family living in it and then coming back and saying, no, you know what? I just want to change a few things. <laughs> no. No. I, you know what? Well, I, you, you can lose context if you edit. That's for sure. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, and what we were talking about first, I, I, I started this... I started this extension to Convo by Design, and as I was explaining to you, because I do believe that Texas has become sort of a lost flyover state with regard to art, architecture, design, and the arts. Um, I think there's so much skill and talent being shared in Texas, and I think a lot of people miss it. So I'm absolutely thrilled to, to talk to you about this. I have a, a big list of people. They don't have to be just designers, do they? No. I have so many neat, neat artists, people that are doing such dynamic things here. Some of them have nothing to do with design. Some of them are suppliers for things that we do. But I'd love to send you a list. Oh, my and gosh. You can just you could just look it over and see. No, I would. You know, I would love that. And not to put you on the spot. But do, do you have a short list of some of some of your 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 favorites right now? Um. Let me think. I'm just there, there are a bunch of interesting metal workers and ceramicists mm. and um, people that are creating things here for us. Um, Claire Crow does some really interesting metal work and she works with a bunch of interior designers. Um, Matthew Gilly is a young ceramicist that I he's kind of caught my eye. Uh, gosh, there's there's so many. Um, there's a a couple of florists here. I'm trying to remember uh, this one guy's name. It'll come. Just, it'll come. Yeah, I'll, I'll, there's so many really cool people. It's kind of like there's um, this whole there's the there's the Rachovskis and like the big artists and like there's all there's a lot of big stuff in Texas, but there's a lot of kind of like this Brooklyn type movement here too like in Bishop Arts and different areas around Texas. But there's a lot of really sort of cool underground younger artists that are doing really dynamic things that just aren't getting 
a lot of attention yet. They they don't get a lot of attention. It's really interesting. Um, you know, my background, I, I spent, gosh, I spent a total of a different lifetime ago. I spent a total of nine years living in Dallas. I was in broadcast at the time in, okay. ra- in radio. And I was, I was working for a station there called The Edge. And yeah. an alternative station in the, oh, I remember the edge. <laughs> in the in the mid to late nineties. And I was the music rep and I worked with all of the venues, all the clubs, all of the promoters. That must have been fun. It was amazing. And one of the things that I had the opportunity to do is down in Deep Ellum, we had we had club nights, you know, I was down there four nights a week. And the the music scene, the live music scene is mm-hmm. is so vibrant in Dallas and Dallas's Deep Ellum area, which is, which is, you know, I, it may have changed now, but it was not a good part of town before, but it basically came out of the, that was, that was the epicenter of Southern yes. jazz and blues. Yep. And it was, it was amazing to see that heritage and to see, you know, some of the bands that I saw back there in the nineties, it was amazing. Oh, it I was, bet. Yeah. It There's was a really cool band uh, now called the Bastards of Soul. And one of the members, I think he might be the bass player, is on the radio uh, on the ticket. Interesting. Uh huh. His name is Danny. I can't think of his last name, but um, he's interesting. He's on the ticket and he has this band. And um, he, I think, I think, well, right now the bars are really struggling. Everybody, everybody's struggling because they haven't been able to be open. Um, that might be an interesting to talk about music and what's going on with the bar scenes and the music scenes, because unfortunately a lot of these, these indie bars and these great music venues that have kind of crept up are, aren't going to last. They just can't keep the doors open. No. And it's interesting that you bring that up because this is a great sort of segue into where we are now. I'm curious uh, because I, I do think coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, I think everything is, is going to change for us. I think design has changed incredibly. I think that, you know, isn't it interesting? You get locked down for six weeks and you realize that your your house isn't exactly what you thought it might be because you're spending oh, so much more time here. Absolutely. It, it's definitely shown me, um, given me some great ideas about where we're going, um, especially for kids, but for all of us, because we typically come home for the rest and relaxation phase, not to pound out work, not to work out, not to relieve stress. I mean, you know, we we do all of our hard work out in the real world and we come home as a refuge, but now we're going to have to do everything more and more at home and sort of having more multi-purpose rooms and setting up new areas. I, I heard you talk about some of this on your, one of your other podcasts. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you have a unique perspective. Um, you know, we we talk about beauty and form and function all the time, but you have a broader purpose. You have a bigger purpose um, when it comes to kids and older folks and designing for wellness. And I, I was hoping you would just sort of share your philosophy a little bit about that. It is so, so important, I think, for interior designers to start looking at design as a, a human experience. Um about how we experience our lives, how we, you know, navigate through, through our homes. Um, you know, I, what I really like to talk about is sort of an inclusive design. 
which is more of a, it's an evolutionary process. It's, it's a continuing process. It's not just we design for a client and then we're done. It's about consistently staying with that client, creating a relationship where it's, there's no end product necessarily. Um, you know, and it's not just about accessibility. It's not just about logistics. It's really about an experience that we're having, you know, and the aesthetics are included in that. And when it comes to, you know, in that broader purpose is, is designing for older folks who are, who are not, you know, it's funny you talk about sheltering in space in place, but it's also about multi-generational living when you have entire families from young children to their grandparents living under one roof. At the same time, you, you also have this, this belief and, and philosophy and design for designing for special needs and, it's really important right now because in in design that seems to be an a an often overlooked idea no oh i think it is i think it's 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 very overlooked i think 15% of the human population has some sort of disability whether they were born with it or they've grown into it or it's just it's been something that's happened to them um but less than 1% i know in our country of any of the built environment is built um for this population so it's it's vastly underserved, um, which has created a niche for me to go in and create, you know, new spaces to adapt the design to what people need. But the larger picture really should be this sort of universal design principle to where if if our society were building spaces that support all, regardless of disability or challenge at any time in our lives, we'd have a lot less adapting to do, a lot less remodeling, and the experience would be so much more inclusionary. What are some of the differences that, that you have to, that you have to use, that you have to approach when it comes to designing for, for a family with special needs versus a family without special needs? I think they sort of run together. Everything that I have studied that specifically supports special needs also benefits the rest of the family. So even though the focus is to maybe problem solve for some specific challenge, most of the time everyone benefits. And you know, we're we're all so interconnected, especially as families. So if if there's one person that's struggling in a family unit, it's kind of like a mobile, you know, that's hanging from the ceiling. You know, you you tug one piece of the mobile in the entire <laughs> the entire mobile you know, is jostled. So um, I think psychologically, we're also connected that creating better spaces for the the one that's having the most challenges evens out everything for everyone else. Um, but just, I think, adaptability in the way um, that we can change environments from not only from day to day, but hour to hour. For example, like just different temperature controls, you know, controlling the light from day to day and hour to hour, depending on what what tasks we're completing. Um, you know, dimmer switches could be one of the easiest ways that you can consistently change an environment to benefit whoever is in the room. Does that make sense? So if you need more light, you've got more light. If you no longer need that area for a task and you've, you've gone into a relaxed mode or you have another person in the family that needs less, then you're able to adapt the environment. So I would say, you know, just making sure that um, the rooms are multi-purpose and that everything's adjustable, even furniture placement. 
I think it's really interesting. I, I agree with all of that. I th- I think too, one of the things about Texas in in general, Dallas in particular, is you you have such a large area, and building new pro- new properties has never been a challenge. There's there's an infill issue now in in Dallas proper, right? But you know, in a city mm-hmm. like L.A., <clears throat> excuse me, in a city like L.A. or New York. Infill was was gone a long time ago. You know, you every, right. you're really looking at at sort of making better. In Dallas, it's always been let's just keep moving out. Let's get once we're outside the Beltway, <laughs> right. then we're we're into we're into North Dallas, and then we're into Plano, and then we're into Frisco, and now it's you know it's even further out. I'm sure when when we were there in the um, mid '90s, we custom built a home in in Irving in Valley Ranch. Okay. Uh, and it was just nothing but land. There's so much room here, especially in the state of Texas. I feel that there's just no excuse for for developers, for city planners, for builders, for architects and designers not to be thinking about how to best serve the majority of people that that were, you know, that would buy our homes. Um, you know, like an ADA code might say you need 60 inches of turnaround clearance. Um, in a specific space, but inclusive design would suggest maybe 68 inches, you know, it's just a little bit more. So it's not really about logistics. It's about serving the most people that you can and making things um, equal in experience. And, And there's just no reason not to do that. I mean, if you think about these big, beautiful spa like bathrooms that we're doing now, they're, they're lovely. And you know, those, those wonderful showers that, that just sort of have this soft grade into the into the shower well area and just maybe one piece of glass versus the whole, you know, the, the bathrooms that we're used to. Those absolutely can be stunning, modern, beautiful, universally accessible and ADA compliant all at the same time. But you wouldn't necessarily know they were. And I think there's a there's a dignity piece of this. That inclusive, you know, this inclusive design has a lot to do with dignity. Not that you can tell that it's been altered. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think taking mm-hmm. it taking it one step further, you know, you have this big, beautiful. Let's take the bathroom that you just is that you just mm-hmm. you know use as an example, and taking that one piece of glass and creating something more than that, making it enclosed so that you can actually incorporate aromatherapy, chromotherapy, steam. A, oh a yes, sauna. you're right. That'd be amazing. Well, and I, I, I wonder if that's not the way that we're thinking. And I, and I think that we're going to have to start thinking differently about the way that we use space now because we're spending far more time there. Well, and I think the people that are creating these spaces, obviously, we're young and healthy because we're not thinking about our future selves. But we are all only temporarily abled, if you think about it. We will all at some point in our lives, whether it's a ski vacation, we break our leg or, um, you know, when I was pregnant, couldn't see my feet. We all have times <laughs> where we are vulnerable. Right. So um, you know, building this way just makes sense. And it adds value. There are, you know, there, there are social reasons to do this, but there's also economic reasons to, to do this. It just makes sense. Well, and moving has always been so easy, right? And I'm and I'm curious right. if if now we're we're at the place where maybe moving so often isn't the trend of the future. Listen, I will tell you something. This the past six weeks has been transformative. I think that 
there is going to be, I think it's already happening. Absolutely. There, I agree with you. There is a fundamental shift in the, in the, in the way in which we think about design and architecture, you know, almost going, almost a throwback to Bauhaus, where it's not just about space anymore, but it's it's about that use of space. Yes. And it's really interesting, because I remember one of the homes we had in Dallas, it was huge, it was far bigger than we needed on a quarter acre lot in North Dallas, and, and I remember hating that house. I, I, grew to <laughs> I grew to hate the house, loved the way it looked, Loved the finishes, loved the big pool, excuse me, loved everything about it, except it was so big and the The maintenance, the maintenance and the trees were planted too close to, to the, to the property line, to the house rather. And there, there were just so many issues with a house. It was made to be big, but it wasn't made to live comfortably. It wasn't made to live big. And so I think the way that we're going now, and I think that a lot of the changes, and I'm curious, is this is this affecting the way that you approach design? I believe it is. I mean, if you think about just the environment and how it's changing with this pandemic, um, building more efficiently and s- smaller, using less resources makes sense. And then also, um, you know, we're going to get through this pandemic. And there, were, there, there will probably be other viruses. There'll be other superbugs. This is definitely changing the way we are going to operate in a space. Not only do we need to be able to use every inch of whatever square footage we have, but we're also going to start counting on our homes to be a protector of some sort. I think in a way that we've never thought about it before. We do think of a home as a refuge and as a place to feel safe and comfortable. But I'm talking even more medically you know, making sure that our air is as clean as possible, that our water is clean, that our toxic load is minimized inside of our home so that our immune systems can stay up, right? So it's like our homes are taking on this completely new role of protector. And that's another way that I think designers um, can really capitalize on this, you know, this movement that's happening. What do you consider? What do you consider is the the current state of design, Texas in general, Dallas in particular? What have you seen? Oh, oh call it the last five years, because I, I I think if you get outside of a five year window, you can't really tell. Sort of a Texas is just we're we're going gangbusters, really. I mean, the economy has been great, and everyone's building and and creating and designing, and it feels like the you know. The design industry has been busy and excited and moving forward. And um, I think we have been unusually fortunate to have a state. Uh, I mean, oil was up so high for so long. I and mean, we've just had a state that's um, it's an, a unique combination of, of character in Texas and the whole concept of b- bigger is better. And when we're doing well, we want to show it off and we want to do big, beautiful homes. And I think interior design has done well over the past five years. We're very resilient. And that's part of the character of, you know, the stereotypical Texan. You know, we're tough and we we are in it for the long haul. So, you know, I definitely think that Texas will be fine. And, you know, the economy will have its ups and downs. I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I'm not a business professional, so I'm not sure that we'll ever have an economy that's long-term doing well that we can count on again, just because there's just, there's so much change 
with um, just the way we live now. Yeah, that- it's, it's true. But I'm curious, do you have enough, re- as a designer, do you have enough resources in, in Texas? Do you need more? I, yes, I believe we do. I believe we do. I mean, we, we are, Texans are um, so self-sufficient in so many ways. And I do believe we have amazing resources. It's not to say that we don't enjoy travel and seeing what is, is on both coasts or what's coming in from overseas. All of those things are really exciting, but, but I do, I believe that Texas is um, a state that's just so full of, of artists and producers and manufacturers and we're you know there's a reason why a lot of people think we could be our own country i think we we could be very self-sufficient and i think the design the design industry is very strong because of that Um, we've been able to find and use our people here in the state which you know makes me feel really good I like supporting my state you know yeah no absolutely and i think that there are certain things like canton um, like round top. Absolutely. That are so, do you go to round top every year? I used to go every year. The past few years I haven't gone. Um, but it's so much fun. It, it's, it's such a great place to go. And really there are vendors now from all over the country that come in and a few parts of the world as well. And we're seeing that more and more, I think, as we've invited more people in and people like you and I are starting to really look at Texas as some unchartered territory, you know, that they're all starting to come in and really share from other places. It's, it's great. And then we don't have to leave. (laughs) We can stay right here. Also curious. I think that, um, Magnolia and what's happening with Chip and Joanna in Waco, I think it's been great, uh, to focus attention on Texas at the same time, you know, I kind of feel like sometimes HGTV makes things too perfect. It puts a bow on on everything. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, it is it is not that realistic. And it also sort of plays upon a Texas stereotype that sometimes I think does um, backfire a little bit on Texas. Because like you and I were talking about, I feel that Texas is so much more sophisticated. Um, but I also love what Magnolia Home does for people that don't ordinarily have access to interior design the way I think of it, the way I was raised, the the resources that I've been exposed to. So a big part of what is important to me is that interior design, more than just being aesthetic, is necessary for health and wellness. And so I feel like, you know, with Magnolia Home, they're creating products and lines and interest uh, within a population that maybe hasn't been as exposed to interior design and how it can change lives and make things better. And so that that part excites me. So regardless of what type of design it is, as long as we're talking about design and the masses are starting to see design as something that's not necessarily just a, a, something like a luxury that you would have in life that you have to earn your way to, that it's part of your life from the beginning whether you get that at West Elm or Target or Magnolia Home or, you know, or the D&D building. Well, and you mentioned D&D. Speaking of local resourcing, design community, um, what what is the community? I'm, I'm sure there's a strong ASID chapter there. Um, 
tell me about the design center. Tell me about design districts. Where where do you go to to source and find inspiration oh, and to specify? There's so much. I mean, the the design district is is just consistently growing and developing, and and that's exciting to see so many new showrooms coming in. Um, you know, I go a little bit of everywhere. I love to check Dallas Market Center. I love to be at the Design Center. There are so many really fun small businesses popping up that work with the trade that I love. And I also think because of the internet, because so many people can go digital now, uh, just through Instagram and hashtagging Dallas artists or different manufacturers in Dallas, I'm finding all kinds of small businesses that either have chosen not to be in a showroom and go go out to start to sell and connect with designers on their own, um, or they're just starting out and they've decided just to go direct to, you know, business to business. And so I, I'm finding all kinds of new sources outside of the the established design center as well. And that's exciting too, because then you really feel like you're bringing your clients something super fresh and you get a little bit of that exclusivity back that we've kind of lost with, you know, clients, internet shopping, you know, a lot of designers really want to bring something unique. And I feel like when I can do that with someone local and up and coming, I'm just, you know, I'm getting to support a local small business an emerging artist and have something unique for my client all in one. It's it's a win-win. Yeah, I think you know it's it's really interesting. I think it's a travesty. One of the things that that the internet for it, the internet's a great thing, but right but one of the things that I think it's done is it sort of democratizes certain art forms and it minimizes where the true value of that art form is. I, I think that design is really one of those areas because with the you know at at one point online design services were popular where you could get a room designed for, you know, $249. Right. That's not what a designer does. Uh, a designer doesn't just put furniture that, you know, a decorator may come in and just place furniture around a room, but that's not what designers do. The true value of a designer is, is to not just understand what a family is, how they live, what they want, but how to take those desires and needs and even the things that are subconscious and to turn Absolutely. that to turn that into a livable space. Yes, I think that a lot of people outside of design assume that we are sort of like museum curators, we're experts, yeah. shoppers and we curate beautiful things and we know what angle to to display them. But that really is like you said just such a tiny part of design and well that's really more what we would call decorating or procuring or embellishing, but that's design is so much more about, um, like you said, subliminal and subconscious um, feelings of safety, security, empowerment, dignity, all those things that are the foundation of, you know, a healthy, well-balanced life. And it is a little bit hard to articulate that. And I think designers need to talk amongst ourselves more about how to really articulate what it is we do, because there's a magic there that's really hard to put into words. There is. And so I think we need to continue to practice um, describing what it is we do. And, and one of the things I've enjoyed about 
this new business um, aspect of kind of trying to get into this inclusive and adaptive design is doing a lot of study and research about the people before me that have have been involved in this and and have worked together worldwide to try to find a real description and label for what society needs through architecture and design. And then also finding amazing scientific studies that can now measure and prove what we know we do as designers. We can now scientifically prove that it does benefit our health, our immune systems, and make us better people. That's really exciting. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I, what's interesting too, you know, here, here in LA, for for the design community, the design community here is is very fortunate. You've got the La Cienega Design Quarter, the West Hollywood Design District, the Pacific Design Center, SoCo, and the OC Mix. If you're if you're in Orange County, you've got the Laguna Design Center. You've got so many places to go as a designer. But what's interesting is now that everything's been shut down for it's been six weeks, seven weeks now, mm-hmm. and moving forward. We're we're really not sure what the future of retail is is going to be. We're not sure what the future of resourcing is is going to be, which is why I asked the question about resources in in Dallas. And you know, we've talked about events before. I, I'm curious, you know, as as a designer, you know, you can go to Love or DFW jump on a plane and go to High Point, or you can go to Market in Las Vegas, or you can go to KBiz, or you can, you know, that's been, it's so easy to travel out of Texas, be it Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas. It's very easy because you're so centrally located. Right. I'm actually more, more curious about the internal resources that you have, and especially now where, where travel and going to places with large groups is going to be more scrutinized by both this, the state and individuals. Do I really want to go and be around so many people? So I'm, I'm curious how that changes what you do from a inspiration, resourcing, specifying, sort of knowing what's out there. Does, does it become way more um, search on computer or do you still have the opportunities to go to go? be in person, which is always what made design so special. Well, it's one of the things I've loved about design is that thrill of the hunt and sometimes just taking a day or two to just go and explore and see what you do find. Um, you're right. It's easy. We can we can hop on a plane and be in, in Austin or Houston. Um, and, and those cities, although such close neighbors are really completely different animals, as you know. So I mean, there's a lot of really fun things happening in Austin. There are showrooms in Austin that are curating um, from, you know, all kinds of new artists in, in Brooklyn or in LA. And, and we may not have something Dallas can tend to be a little bit more traditional, whereas Austin has sort of this new sort of, sort of a fresh, grittier, edgier vibe. And so, um, I think the way it would change is just that I would probably do more homework before I would go in person. I just don't think there is a, there's no substitute for being in person with meeting with the showroom, with feeling those fabrics. And we, we have to know the hand. We have to, we have to really be there to get it. But instead of just feeling like I've got this freedom to go in and wander and discover Unfortunately, I think probably I would I would get on the computer and do a lot of research about 
I'd be more selective about who I wanted to go and visit from and source. So I do think that it's important for showrooms to really reach out to designers electronically, make sure that their websites are as representative of the product that they are offering as possible so that we can really do our homework and then hopefully, you know, set up meetings and still be able to discover new things. But I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it quite as freely as I've, I'm used to. Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit sad, but I could be wrong. Maybe things will, will kind of go back to normal, which would, which would be so great. Um, We'll just see. So I'm curious too, what can, what can the trade, what can showrooms, manufacturers, uh, design groups, industry groups, what can they do? I'm just curious. I'm, what can they do to provide better resources for the design community right now? What can they do to help you? What I think a lot of them are doing is um, staying top of mind, really staying in touch, making sure that we know what's coming. And there's a lot of really fun uh, virtual meetings happening. There are a lot of CEUs. I think showrooms and manufacturers are getting, well, the ones that are on the forefront are already kind of getting clever about how they stay connected to us. And also just just sending a package, just sending samples, whether we know we want it or not. I mean, I really think that, um, you know, when we're out and we're wandering the design center, there's ways to catch our attention. Um, having wine in the showroom and around happy hours always works, you know, but now they're going to have to just start packaging up, I think, samples and sending them out or finding different ways to connect with us uh, virtually where they haven't had to do that before. I'm curious, and I think that this is going to be one of the areas where where designers really need to need to figure out the solution for this. Uh, on two sides of that of the the same coin, you have it. You have to be able to touch and feel, right? You have to do the touch yes. test, just like the sit test. But at the same time, you know, do we really want? additional packages being sent into our offices and our, which are now our homes in the form of samples. It, I have spoken to so many designers and architects who don't, who don't want the samples. They don't want the sample mm. books anymore. They don't want the catalogs anymore because they don't have a library anymore. So I, it's you know, something that's coming to mind. I think that's a good point too. Um, something that's coming to mind is I think it's um, the Nordstrom's department store. I think it's Nordstrom. I could be wrong on that. But there was the department store that I was recently shopping online and you could choose an outfit or some product. And then there was a little tiny, maybe five or six second video segment next to it where you could see a representative of the store either wearing it or holding it and talking about it and giving you kind of this virtual mini tour of that garment. So I may pick a specific skirt it's black from the picture. I can only tell so much. So I press on this tiny little video next to, you know, the thumbnail of this skirt. And this woman comes on and says, this skirt is by so-and-so it's got a hidden zipper in the back. It does have lining. And she's kind of moving the fabric around, showing you how it flows, giving you more of an idea of what that skirt is like. Does that make sense? So I just thought it was a really intelligent, and better way to show me what that item is like than to just see sort of this two-dimensional flat picture. Now that would take a lot of work on, on behalf of the showrooms, 
But maybe we start doing something like that where we get a better feel of the scale, how it sits, having, you know, physically watching someone on a video segment, showing you that piece, turning it. Does that make sense? Like, I just think we're going to have to have some kind of virtual ways of experiencing these things. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's brilliant. I, I think that it it almost falls more on the manufacturer than the showroom. But it does seem it does seem as you're talking, I'm thinking it, it does seem like it's gonna be more of a collaborative effort. I think it has to be. It it will have to be. And then at some point, like you said, there's just we may just have to have a client come, you know, put the masks on, put the gloves in, come in know ahead of time what we're going to sit test or what we want to really see in person. And we do that. Um, well, it's interesting because, you know, and we listen, you and I could talk about this all day, True. but I, I think what's, what's really interesting because I've spoken to a number of designers and I want to, I want to circle back and wrap this up, but it, what I, what's really interesting to me is I've spoken to a number of designers who say to me, when I specify something, I, I need to know what the specs are. I need to understand if I get surprised, like a, in the past, it's been a, you know, a cabinet manufacturer mm -hmm. where it, you measure according to specs, you build it out according to specs. If it comes in and it's an eighth inch off, you have a problem. Yes. And I, I, I don't think that, especially when we're leaning more heavily on digital resources to, to, to specify we can have those kinds of things. So I, I think that there's, there's a far deeper conversation to this as at the same time, getting out in person is part of what makes that thrill of the hunt, like you're talking about so special, right? Mm -hmm. And with you in particular, you know, when you're designing for children with special needs, or older adults, or families that are designing a multi-generational household, there are certain things that you have to know about how the product feels. Is it is it soft enough so that a child with special needs won't be irritated by something that maybe somebody who doesn't have those needs would never even notice? True. Well, a good a good part of what I love about being a designer really has been creating a relationship with the people that I'm working for and and just feeling that energy. And as an artist, enjoying the collaboration and enjoying that process and kind of getting to know each person in the family and finding a way to orchestrate all those different needs and unique points of view into one beautiful masterpiece that they all enjoy um, in so many different ways. So, um, you know, it is definitely something to think about. I, I don't have the answer. Um, I will, will have to be extra careful when I go into some of these families' homes, because a lot of the families that I am dealing with, their children can be medically fragile and, and the elderly as well. I mean, I, my specific populations that I'm called to serve um, definitely have to be even more careful. So it's a good question on how we're going to proceed from here. But I, I do hope at some point we will find ways to reconnect. I just think as a society in general, uh, I consider myself an introvert, but I tell you, there's only so much, you know, even an introvert can take. I miss my people. Oh my gosh, that's so that's so true. <laughs> I I didn't realize how much I miss people, but you know, the first few weeks of it, I thought this is this is a breeze. 
I love this time alone. I, I love all of this. But but after a while, you know, we, we need that encouragement and not just on Zoom. You know, as Texas has been lightening things just a touch, I've done a couple of visits, you know, a good 10 feet away. But just seeing my my good close friends in person on their front porch or in the backyard by the pool. And I I realized how much I've taken that for granted and how much I've missed that. And just just a reminder to sort of where we first started with this, the the people who are going to I don't want to say fix it because this isn't about being fixed. It's it's accommodating for a new reality. The people who yes. who adjust to that new reality are the the dreamers, the artists, the designers. Absolutely. I mean, we are the gatekeepers of a life well lived. I think that we again, we really have such an important place in society and it's important and exciting for me to see our industry really notice that about themselves and empower themselves to realize that we are making life-changing you know experiences for others it's a really wonderful industry to be in i think it's more important than ever we just need to sort of navigate our way through this and find out how to make sure that we get the credit that we deserve. Agreed. And you know what? I'm going to Shelly, I'm going to circle back with you because that's a, that's another topic for an entire show. <laughs> one, You're right. One that I absolutely look forward to having with you, Shelly. Thank you so much for for taking the time today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Shelly. Amazing. I appreciate you, your work, and what you do for your community. Please subscribe to the show so you can catch every episode of Lone Star, House of Design, and Convo by Design. Ask Alexa or Siri, say, hey Siri, play Convo by Design podcast. And she will. You can follow the show on the socials as well, at Convo by Design, with an X, on Instagram, and check out the YouTube channel for videos from some of your favorite episodes. You can also visit us at uh, convobydesign.com. Thank you for listening. And until next week, be well and keep creating.